Hey, hey, hey. You guys want to sit back down? I'm sure you do. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Is this not an absolutely, absolutely amazing place to grow as a leader? The Oaks is amazing, isn't it? Regardless of how long you've been here, how many of you would you say, yeah, you know for a fact you've grown as a leader, right? I know you have. I've seen some of you from the day you started to who you are today. I'm very impressed. I'm very proud of you. And you know what else? I want to honor pastors Brian and Sue, right? Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to speak leadership into these students, into the future leaders of Christ's bride. Literally, that's what's happening here. And you know what? I want to recommend that you honor them, not just today, not just with what I'm saying. You know why? They are your number one advocate. You're here because they believe in you. You're growing as fast as you are because they are praying for you. They are fighting for you. They love you. They believe in you. So please give an applause, your love, your standing ovation to Pastors Brian and Sue. I mean that. Please don't just do that today, right? Don't just do that today. They really are your number one advocate, and don't, don't ever take that for granted, all right? Okay, so I have been praying for and preparing for what God wants me to share with you guys today for about three to four weeks, and i um, been praying. God gave me a whole bunch of things. I started working on them, typed them out. I even reached out to Miss Sue. I was like, I'm not sure which direction to go. Hey, do you mind reaching out to the students and find out what they would like to learn from me with regards to leadership? And several of you um, sent in some questions, and I was like, all right, cool. It looks like this is lining up. I guess it's all of these things. Well, um, a couple of days ago, God told me to scrap all of that, and he put something in my heart to share with you specifically. So, the reason why I put my phone number up there is for those of you who really want my answer to some of your questions, that's my number. It would be my honor to answer those questions for you. I would love to do that. I mean that sincerely, so please, reach out, uh, call me, stop me, if you would like those uh, questions answered, all right? In the meantime, let's open it up in prayer with, what God's, must, with, with um, God's assignment for me to share with you today. Cool? Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak leadership, your word, into these absolutely powerful men and women of God. They are your children. I pray that what they hear, who they hear, is you, not me. Let there be clarity. 
Let them receive every word with love. In Jesus' name. All right, here we go. I am not a racist. Yeah, I know that sounds silly, that sounds funny, Um, but I'm not. But with the help of a mentor, I discovered that I'm a leaderist. What does that mean? I know that I'm a very strong leader. I know that I'm powerful. I know that I'm one of the best at developing strategy and not just really good at it. I can actually make strategy happen. I have an absolutely incredible ability to lead teams across departments, run very complex strategies and projects leading those teams, and make it happen with ease. By the way, it is not easy to brag on myself, but there is a point, so bear with me. There's a reason why I hope you'll understand why I'm going through this route. I also know that I am, in fact, the best project manager here in this house. And that's saying something for this house. I know that not because it's a claim to boost myself up. I know that because I get told that frequently. I know that because of the outcome of my work. I'm also an incredible learner. And I'm not just an incredible learner. I have an incredible ability to assimilate and apply what I learn. On top of all that, I know that I'm a good pastor. You guys have the honor and the privilege of being in a place where without active effort, you are going to grow as a leader. I'm looking at each one of you, and every attribute that I defined I'm fairly confident that you're either there, on your way there, going to become an absolutely amazing leader in your field. Because I'm such an amazing leader, because I've intentionally worked at it for 30 years to become a great leader, what I didn't realize was on the other side of that, something was happening in my heart that has made me become a leaderist. I'm very critical of people. If somebody is not leading very well, I judge them. I see a leader consistently make mistakes, don't follow through. My respect for them slowly diminishes And I start to respect them a little bit less, and a little bit less, and a little bit less. After 30 years, I realize that I've been feeding the leaderist so much, and it's become a monster inside of me. And how I found out was, This involved a friend of mine, a pastor, who will remain nameless. I love this man. 
I respect him. He is an absolutely amazing leader, an amazing pastor. And then I, for a couple of weeks, I had the weirdest, strangest experience in my life. It was hard to focus on my job, my work, my, my exercise, my family, everything I was doing had some weirdness around it. And I realized that the source of the problem was the leaderist in me has become a monster. Wherein, when I see that guy walking down the hallway, I was just a little bit like, <clears throat> and then a couple of days later, I would even avoid that person. Looking at my schedule for the day, oh boy, I'm gonna be in a meeting with this person. Ugh. It got really bad when I would pull in to the parking lot onto the property and I would see the person's car. Just, it's just the person's car. And I'm like, ugh. I continued to talk to my um, mentor about that and he continued to work with me on this problem that I've been aware of, but what I did not um, know was it's become a monster, right? It's become a monster. So one day I was praying specifically about this, praying really hard to the Lord. Lord, this is not right. This is not good. Help me out, please. Well, we know that especially here in this place, we have a very healthy prophetic culture, right? So yeah, God was good. He spoke to me. He reminded me of what Jesus did with regards to washing his disciples' feet. Posture of humility, posture of servanthood. All right, that's a start. Lord, is that what you're telling me to do? It will not be easy, but I'll do it. And he said, yes, that's what I want you to do. Well, what's the next step? I mean, you know, at this point, obedience for most of us here in this room Hey, if you hear from God to do something, it's really not that hard to go do it, especially if something specific. So I was ready to do it, even though I knew it was not going to be easy. Well, the next part of the conversation I had with God was, well, what? I can't just go, hey, Chris, I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to have to give him some type of explanation, right? So I started praying, Lord, what do you want me to say? And then he started revealing things to me that I need to ask his forgiveness for. And I started writing those things down, one after another, after another, after another. And then I looked at this list and I'm like, I can't say this to him. I can't. First of all, I love and respect this man. This will destroy him. <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean by sometimes you need to forgive somebody privately because the problem is yours. The person did nothing wrong. Letting them know about whatever issue it was that you're having with them in their heart would actually hurt them. It was that type of stuff. I just continued to wrestle with God about saying, all right, I really need a confirmation from you because I know for a fact if I go to this person and do this and say these things, he's going to need counseling. He's probably 
our friendship's probably destroyed, it's going to hurt him bad. And then this is what God told me next. That day when I was praying, thankfully, I was praying with somebody. I had a prayer partner with me. And God said, see that brother over there? I gave him as a gift to you. He's somebody that you trust deeply and absolutely. What I want you to do is, because you're correct, you do not need to say these words to your friend, your co-pastor. I want you to confess this. Tell him what I told you to do and use him as a proxy and wash his feet and confess all of these things. Man, I'm telling you, that was not easy. But this is what happened. Knelt down. Brother, this is what's going on. And he's responded, said, All right, it would be my honor. And I started to verbalize. So and so, I ask for your forgiveness for judging you for disrespecting you, for thinking that you are not a good leader, for belittling you in my heart, for thinking that you do not deserve to lead the people that you do, for you to think that you do not deserve to work at this place because you suck, to think that you are causing problems with the direction with the work of the kingdom. And then so many words started to come about other people that I was belittling in my heart. The monster revealed itself. It was ugly. It was nasty. I was disgusted with myself. It was absolutely awful. But God was very good. I needed that. My brother was there to affirm, to support me, to hear from the Lord, to speak to me. I continued to work with my mentor, with my friends, trusted friends through this. What God did was he took me through a process of surgery, spiritual heart surgery. That was what I needed. Right? How did I know that? I've known that I was a leaderist. Right? We all know how ugly racism is. It was the leadership version of that. It was nasty. Everything that came out was absolutely ugly and hateful, not of God. I knew that I was sick because of all the different symptoms. Let me share with you some of those symptoms. When Pastor Scott started doing the no one walks alone thing with the way we do salvation, right? Raise your hands. I, I see you. I see you. Oh, you don't have to walk alone. Somebody's going to walk down with you. This was around the beginning of that. I was standing towards the back near the um, sound booth, kind of by the aisle. I was ready to engage. I saw a man raise his hands. He was sitting kind of near the aisle, which means he was accessible. And then when Pastor Scott said, all right, 
One, two, three. All right, go. I froze. I couldn't do it. I could not walk up to that person to say, I'm going to walk down with you. I was fighting. I was struggling. I couldn't. However many seconds later, one of our auditorium hosts went for him. They walked down. The man got saved. Woo! I was messed up. It was a Sunday. I still projected. My pastor projected, um, you know, the smile, the proper behavior. But I was destroyed. I was embarrassed of myself. I felt like a sham. I called myself a pastor. I could not even walk up to somebody who said, I want Jesus. I couldn't do it. I talked to my pastor. I mean, I talked to my mentor about it. He helped me process, and we dug. Another, system, another symptom um, was revealed. 2014, when I found out that my dad passed away, I was devastated. I wish I could say that it was because he died. It was because I felt absolutely nothing. I didn't feel anything. My dad just died. I felt nothing. I didn't care. I tried to feel something. I tried to remember movies that made me cry because a loved one died. It wasn't there. Another symptom. My mom's not saved. I've been praying for him, up for her, very regularly. And as I'm working through this process of surgery, God led me to this question. If your mom died today, you know where she's going, right? Mm-hmm. Do you actually care? My honest answer was, I don't. I'm a pastor. I'm trained in the industry and the religion of Christianity. I know all the words. I know all the behavior. I'm an amazing leader. I've trained myself very well. But I did not care, even though I was going through the motions, if my mom went to heaven or hell. Then, God said, the fact is there is a possibility that your dad, who has passed away, may not be in heaven. How do you feel about that? The honest answer was, I felt nothing. It's been a rough six, seven months of preparing myself for surgery. But as heavy as everything I just told you, the good news is 
Surgery has been successful. This place is absolutely amazing. It is the perfect treatment center hospital for spiritual heart surgery. This place was safe for me to get diagnosed, prep, go through surgery, get rehabilitated, and now I'm training. Training to get strength back up. Not the way I was before, but to become a brand new person. I am looking forward to every service every Sunday now. It has been such a joy to walk down the altar, towards the altar with all these people. I think I've walked down with like six or seven by now. And I'm doing it not because I'm a leader, I'm a pastor, so that you guys can see. Look at Pastor Kevin go. It's because I actually care about them. December, I was with my mom. We visited the Philippines. That's where I'm from. That's where my family's at. God told me, surgery's done before our trip. You're good. That trip was different. I actually love my mom. We've been talking about Jesus. Please pray for her. She still rejects him. Flat out rejects him. But I actually care now. I deeply, deeply care now. So, why did I go through all that? This was the main thing God wanted me to share with you. You're here at the most amazing place to learn about ministry and leadership. You get to learn from the best of the best of the best. Please don't miss on the most important thing that you can and should learn and receive from this place before, before going out there into your calling. Learn how to love. Learn how to love. Now, let's have some fun and get practical. How do you do that? So, if you're a note taker, this is probably where I would suggest you start taking notes. Let's start with the most important step. Let's go practical now. So how do you respond to what God is saying to you? Number one, who's the source of love? By the way, I'm asking you a question. Who's the source of love? God is, right? Okay. If you hear somebody say, I spent a day with my mom. How does that make you feel? Oh, right? You get warm and fuzzies. You think, oh, man, that's sweet. What does that signify? You love your mom. You spent a day with your mom. That sounds normal, doesn't it? Now, why is it, though, when we say, when you, we hear somebody say, I spent an hour with God. How does that make you feel when you hear somebody say that? I know that what comes up in my mind and the vibes and the feels I get is this. 
the image I get is, Do you love God? What's one of the things we learn from Pastor Scott's leadership is influence teaching, right? Leadership is respect and relationship. Relationship means love, means relational value. Well, how do you do that? How do you build relationship? It's through time and trust, right? That's what we've learned in that leadership lesson. Every Thursday, today, 9.30 to 10.30 is sacred for me. That is savagely protected time for me. I call it my time sitting on daddy's lap. All I do is pray in the spirit for an hour. This is not bragging. This is really just sharing with you a very practical thing. I don't have an agenda when I go into that time. That's not my Devo time. I did my Devo this morning. I have a separate time to pray about assignments or things I need to figure out or work on. This is just my time every week to go, Daddy, I'm here. I love you. I'm not expecting to hear from him. I always have this pad open during that time. If he doesn't speak to me, I'm good. When you go spend the day with your mom, what are you expecting? You're expecting to make memories because you spent time together. That's all. So far, he's always had something to share with me and tell me. And you know what? Some of the most life-defining words that I've ever received in my life came from those times. First of all, my love for the Lord has grown tremendously and more deeply. That hour anchors my week. Whether I'm here, whether I'm on vacation, doesn't matter where I'm at. That hour is sacred to me. Well, what does that look like to you? I don't know. Is your relationship with the source of love, whom you love deeply, supposedly, because that's what you declare, is it about, I need this, I want this, help me with this, help me figure this out, I need you to do this, or, Daddy, I love you, let's hang. When was the last time he had an opportunity to go, sweet baby girl, my sweet baby girl, I love you, I absolutely adore you. Shut up. Let me tell you. Let me just dote on you right now. You're so cute. Son, you're awesome. I love you. Let's just hang. Right? Number two. Right? 
the, right at the beginning, you guys agreed with me. This is an absolutely great place to grow as a leader and learn ministry. Now, let me recommend this action step for you. What if you started to look at every leadership lesson, every leadership opportunity you have, when you're alongside one of the pastors, one of the staff members, to look at their motivation. Why are they doing what they're doing? Why are they leading the way they're leading? Let me explain it to you a different way. Is Pastor Scott an amazing communicator? I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I'm just going to say trust me on this. I've seen it, but yes, he's an absolutely amazing leader, one of the best in the world. But he is an, a better leader than he is a pastor, is a, a speaker, isn't he? He is a better leader than he is a, past, a speaker, a communicator. But how he has blessed me and why I absolutely, absolutely am proud to call him my personal pastor is because I know for a fact and I have seen that he is a better husband and dad than he is a leader. And I have also personally seen that he is a better son of God, a better Christ follower than he is any of those things that he is absolutely amazing about. Second to Pastor Scott, Pastor Joseph is somebody I brag about all the time to my friends, to pastors in other churches. It's not just because I think he's truly is the greatest youth pastor on the planet. And when I say that, that's very personal to me because he is my son's pastor. I'm grateful that my son being in that season lined up perfectly with Pastor Joseph being the youth pastor. But I've seen how he loves. I've seen how he shows up. I love him, respect him, and brag on him all the time not because of all the youth ministry trick moves that he knows. It's because on his phone are game schedules, graduation schedules, schedules of recitals, plays, and he shows up. And he has the coach's phone numbers and the principal's phone numbers. My favorite experience and story that I have of Pastor Joseph was on a Wednesday, we invited a new family that we met to come because their teenage daughter has never been to seven back in the day. You know what it's like. You don't, as a high school student, you don't want to walk into any place by yourself. That's uncomfortable, awkward, weird, right? So we made sure, hey, Lucy and I was going to meet with you. We're going to meet with you guys, and then we'll, we'll connect you with them. When I, I got there a little bit late, saw the mom, and the daughter was gone. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, we failed this family, yada, yada, yada. Pastors, Pastor Joseph was speaking that day, right? My, when, when, I, when I think of somebody who's speaking, right, usually a pastor who's about to speak is not accessible, right? They need to stay in their mojo and not be disturbed, right? Because they're about to speak. Don't mess with their head. He's out there loving students. He's out there connecting with students. And then I said, oh, Pastor Joseph, come here, come here, come here. Let me introduce you to the mom. Oh, and uh, I was going to connect you with her. Oh, you're talking about, I don't even remember the person's name. You're talking about this person. She, you know, he, he mentioned her by name. She already met her. He already met her. He knows this, uh, the high school that she goes to. He already introduced her to her small group. The man loves people like crazy. And I have seen, well, everybody sees because of how notorious he is on Instagram, how well he loves his family. He's a better dad and a better husband than he is a youth pastor. And I know for a fact, he is an incredible He's a way better Christ follower than he is a youth pastor and a dad. Pastor Clayton, I'm very, very proud to call him my worship pastor because aside from, obviously, he is a world-class worship leader, worship um, music writer, but I have seen him the way he loves his family. I've seen the way he loves people, and I see that he truly, deeply, deeply worships the Lord in his personal life, not just for his job and on stage. What am I trying to get at? Don't just learn leadership skills or ministry skills. You're going to miss out if that's all you get from this place. I'm telling you, everything that you see, the greatness that you see in this place is because it is an overflow of love. An overflow from love from God, a deep, deep love from God, a deep, deep love for people. That's why we do leadership the way we do. That's why it's as good as it is. You are missing out. If you are not looking and learning about the motivation behind the leadership principles and concepts that you get to hear about, see, and experience. Number three, start loving your loved ones. Start loving your loved ones. Lucy and I have this ministry called Creative Start. What we do in that ministry is we help church planters by providing them with world-class, some of the best creative things that they need, like logos and graphics and websites and social media stuff at a fraction of a cost. Some of you are aware are part of um, the partnership we have with youth ministry going on right now. Right, where there are five churches that uh, youth small groups raising money for to pay for their Creative Start packages. Lucy and I 
Every Wednesday, we pray for the ministries that God has entrusted us to serve. Part of the way we're working the campaign is we ask for the pastors of these church planters to send us their prayer requests so that the students can pray for them. Not just raise funds, but get their heart aligned to, to, to the, the, the church plants, right? When we were praying for them, God put in my heart some of the personal prayer requests. One of the pastors struggling with back issues. Another one is having problems um, with his dad, who is a key member of his launch team, but because his grandfather is deteriorating with Alzheimer's, he is less available. I mean, these are personal things that are happening at home. And I started praying this. Lord, please remove the distractions from their ministry. Remove and protect them from anything that is going to take away from their ability to launch their church successfully. God, check my heart. What are you praying? He reminded me of a mantra that I live by. One of the mantras I live by is, the quality of your ministry is only as good as the quality of your ministry at home. Why was I praying against distract? It's not a bad prayer, but God showed me. What's wrong with your thinking? Remember Pastor Scott recently just talked about the order of priorities. We know it well. We know it very well. God first, take care of yourself, take care of your family before any of the other things, including ministry. We know the answer. But the fact is, our behavior, my automatic prayer was, please remove the distractions from their ministry going forward. It is true. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. But what God showed me this Wednesday, um, two days, uh, yesterday. Oh, my gosh. It just happened yesterday. Their primary ministry is their family. They're not a distraction. What was I thinking? God is responsible for your ministry. God's responsible for souls. God's responsible for church growth. And God's responsible for the launch of their churches. He's got it. Their primary ministry is their ministry to their loved ones. Start by loving your loved ones. I'm going to guess you want to be a great husband or a wife one day. Yes? You want to be a great dad one day, don't you? I'm 49. I'm still unlearning habits that I developed from when I was your age because of YOLO. Because I had so much time and I worked my stinking butt off. You can start now. You can start now. Prioritize loving your loved ones. Be specific. Next. Next practical thing. Be specific about how you love. Be very specific about how you love. 
How many of you would agree with me? The word I love you is thrown out so generously. What does it even mean anymore? During one of my daddy's lap time, God just dropped in my heart. Pray for Lucy. All right, let me start praying for my wife. And then he gave me an assignment. Review your vows. Like, oh, yeah, I haven't looked at my vows in a long time. Our vows were simple. 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love uh, verses. Love is kind, love is patient, love is... And I looked at it and I'm like, oh, boy. I realized I've made 15 specific promises to my wife about my commitment, my covenant commitment in how I'm going to love her. And what God led me to do was line out the 15 things I promised. God's specific outline, operating system, guide, blueprint on how to love and score yourself. Oh, boy. Some, I did great. There were three or four items that were like a solid C. I needed to work on them. That date, when we went out and we went through each one, and me just in a posture of humility, going, Lucy, I promised that I was going to be patient with you. How, was I, how am I doing? This is how I think I'm doing. Am I loving you well? We had some of the most honest conversations. It was one of the most romantic dates we've ever been on. Point. Don't just go, love, I'm growing in love. That word is so saturated, the meaning is fuzzy and lost. Be specific. In fact, God even provided the blueprint of how you can actually measure and grow in love. Five, get help. If you need it, get help. I needed help. Praise God, this place encourages it. Maybe you need a mentor. Maybe you need a counselor. What's the difference between the two? Mentors push so that a mentee can stretch. A mentor is supposed to help you grow. A counselor, on the other hand, is going to help you fix problems. There's a difference, right? Surround yourself with friends. Surround yourself with prayer partners. Maybe you need help. Love is hard. You know why? Because people's hard. I always joke about this. Ministry is very, very easy. It really is. Especially at the rate you guys are growing as a leader. Ministry is easy. People's the problem. But what that means is loving is hard. It's complex. Frankly, whether you deny it or not, you're going to need help. Get help. Last practical step. Start loving every day. Don't wait. Don't wait. For the first time in my life, for three weeks now, maybe Lucy's getting tired of it because this is coming up a lot at home in my conversation with her. 
I have been celebrating these words for the first time in my life. My job's just a job. I know what that implies. I know the way that sounds. I love my job more than ever, especially coming out of heart surgery. Oh my gosh, I love what I get to do. I love the people I get to do with. This is what's happening with my, how I feel about my job. It's growing faster than ever. But for the first time in my life, it's just a job because I'm actually more excited about loving my family. I'm more excited above my job, about, above my identity and how awesome I'm becoming in my sphere of influence. I love the people that I get to serve, that I get to do life with, that I get to, I love people more. I love God more for the first time in my life. I would say truthfully, every single day, I love God more than I love my job. And my love for my job is rising very, very fast. It's just a job. But what does that have to do with the practical step of start and doing every day, starting now? This was a prophetic word God gave me on Monday. I have given you people to lead. And the best way to lead them is to love them. You're not just interns or students. Each one of you have been given people to lead already. I'm sure you can think of them right now. If you're a small group leader, they look at you as leaders. They're volunteers that you serve with. They look at you as leaders. Start loving them every day. Start now. Don't just learn and watch. Don't just, don't stop with, ah, now I have a new way of looking at leadership lessons. Let me look for the motivation. Ah, I've learned that. That is coming out of love. Doing that actually helps me love better. No, there are people that you can love now. Because when God launches you out there, there's going to be sheep that is now your responsibility. And how excited am I that if God's message to you impacts you today, that you are better lovers of people in Jesus' name when you're out there walking into your assignment as pastors. Pastor Mark was talking about Endgame. I was very happy to about that message because I used to think Endgame is when I die, I hope that I've accomplished that. With, with the surgery that God's taken me through, my Endgame's changed. My Endgame is every single day. I just go, did I love well today? It was a very good day. It used to be, how much crap did I get done? So my day is measured by, oh, it was a terrible day because the project didn't go as well as I hoped it would. All of those indicators about work-related output or outcome was based on how good a leader I was. But now, man, the project may not have gone as good as I hoped. It doesn't matter. 
I loved well today. It was a good day. Main point. You're going to grow as leaders. You're in a place where even without trying, you are going to grow as leaders. Please don't miss out and not grow as people who are good at loving. Lord, you've handpicked each one of these powerful sons and daughters of yours to be here, to be trained, to be launched into ministry. They responded to that call because they want to make a difference, because they want to be a representative of your love to as many people as you would entrust to them. During this season in their lives of growing and learning, I pray that while they're here, they grow in their ability to love. In Jesus' name. You prefer it? Okay. Um, and part one of the answer, production problems are solved at run-through and rehearsal, right? That's why we do what we do on Thursdays and on Sunday mornings for Wednesdays. That's, you get what I mean, right? 90 plus percent of those problems should not be addressed on a Sunday. That's part one of the answer. Part two, things happen, right? Things happen. What you do with part one is you minimize the likelihood, right? Part two answer is raise up leaders, okay? But that doesn't address all of it, right? Part three answer, when something does go wrong, First, I need to assess. Does this need to be fixed for this Sunday or not? I used to, as a leaderist, freak out, get mad, in my mind think, who's to blame? How am I going to solve this now? How am I going to solve this in the future so that it doesn't happen anymore? Is perfection expected of us? Is perfection expected of us? Pastor himself has said, and he is one of the most gracious leaders I've ever worked with. Protect yourself from losing your cool if you don't need to lose your cool. You don't need to be frantic. You don't need to freak out. Some problems don't even matter. 
to quote the famous Mark Brewer, is somebody going to die? Our soul's going to be lost because of that production problem, right? A reality, especially for you, who cares about those details, who else would know? We strive for excellence. What's expected of us is to not repeat problems or not allow problems to persist. But a problem that happens once in a service, even if it's a big one, there's grace here, isn't there? Right? Other questions? Yes, Rob. Let me clarify the last part of your question. What I heard was, how do I allow them to use your vi their vision and not my vision? Was that what you're asking? Yes. Okay, so let me answer the second part of your question, then let me go back and answer the first part. You probably do not want any of the people you're leading to run with their vision, right? You probably don't want that. There's vision alignment. Vision alignment is very, very important. And thank you for asking that. The risk of raising up powerful leaders is um, they're going to lead. <laughs> right? So, yes, it is a very valid question. They probably may come up with their own vision. Sometimes it's because of their SOI. Sometimes it's because... They have ADHD. Oh, let me go chase this down. Let me, and they call it vision, right? Vision alignment is very important. Defining expectation and scope of responsibility and leadership helps maintain alignment and at the same time gives latitude and space for the leader to operate as a leader. But they should not come up with their own vision. Now, don't choke it. Make the I'm making an assumption. If a leader has their own vision, I'm going to make an assumption that if they're a leader, right? We're not talking about just somebody. If they're a leader, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe they heard from the Lord. Let me hear them out and not just stomp them out and correct them. I am still responsible as the head coach of my team to vet and steward vision. I play the same role with Pastor Scott. He's the head coach. I may get ideas. Pastor Brian, a uh, visionary. He's got tons of those. Pastor Nina, his ideas and my ideas together is probably about 10% of the ideas she generates. But here's what I know about her. She is fully submitted to our head coach, our senior pastor. She will not run with her own vision.
the first part of your question was about 200, how do I lead 200 people? Correct? I can't. I can't. But I can lead five. So what I've done is I've put together a core team. I pour into them. I make sure culture and vision and values are solid in the six of us and that it overflows into the people that they lead and so on. So it's a multi-market in the MLM, you know, it's a multi-level marketing scheme, right? My top line, I pour into them like crazy. That, the culture that has to be really solid because the fact is I cannot lead 200 people. Now, when I have the opportunity to talk to 200, imagine how powerful it is if the five of us are on exactly the same page that when they hear one of the five talk, they hear the same thing. When the downline hears the next layer below the core, hears and sees the same thing, oh man, that's powerful. But I can't lead 200. I can lead five though. And I'm fairly confident at the rate it's going. I think we have the ability to lead three, four, five hundred because of how solid the core is becoming. One more or we're good? Just, just tell me to shut up when it's time. Um, questions? Yes. I may need a little bit of qualifier for that. This may not be the answer that you're looking for, but I got the mic, so. <laughs> I think this is... Uh, Seven Christmases ago now, Lucy and I were, you know, it was a good day. We celebrated Christmas. We're in bed. We're just talking. And then lovingly sweet. This wasn't like in a fight context. She just said something that redefined me as a person. That This was where it really fixed a lot of, of you know what, let me just tell you. She said, I wish that you brought the passion that you brought to work to our home. She didn't say it in a mean way. Oh, my word. It was the crazy light bulb moment for me. It's like, first, aha. I am not good at not doing. I'm good at doing. So why did I say that? What I used to do was work as hard as I can to protect chunks of time on my calendar to not do something so that I have time for my family. We're leaders. We're good at getting, we're very good at getting stuff done. When she says it, I'm like, wait a second. I'm successful at my work because I'm a good planner. I'm a good 
to-do person, I have a good calendar, I manage my time well, but somehow when it comes to home, it's just this blank, it's this slot that says family time. And the tendency is, I fill it up with, you want to guess what I fill up that time with? Work, because I didn't plan to do anything during that time. So, remember Pastor Scott's intentionality map? <laughs> it actually works, right? So, but remember, it doesn't stop there. It's not just family time. No, then I started to bring the passion that I brought to work. I started to strategize. What's my end game? Now I'm intentional. I actually have activities planned to do. So when I'm asked to serve, I can't, I can't say yes because I actually have something scheduled. I am going to hang out with Luke. It's on, that's what I'm going to do. I, what do you do at work when you have something scheduled to do with somebody? The person knows. Well, Luke knows. I told him, I'm going to hang out with you Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. I just made a commitment to him. That is one of the ways that we can bring skills. Somehow we exert all this effort to get better with skills and trick moves and best practices to our jobs, but we do not apply them to what's most important. And then one of the biggest breakthroughs that I experienced, and this was one of the hardest all-nighters used to be the norm because when you're swapping out a set and, you know, um, um, and doing media stuff, it's just, it's just long hours. Remember Pastor Scott talking about the expectation reality stuff, right? You know, the usual example is about being late. So I promised Lucy I was going to be home late. I told, sorry, I told Lucy I was going to be home late, but I told her I'm going to be home at 8. How many times have you underestimated how long something's going to take? Right? Now, let me take what Pastor Scott's saying a step further. He said, well, if I communicated that I wasn't going to be home at 8, in 9 o'clock instead, then I've managed expectations. Here's another step that I took, which was huge. I said 8, I saw it was 7.30, and I knew my struggle of leaving was this. What are the guys going to think of me for leaving before the job was done? Can you relate with that? What are they going to think of me? And God said, so are you saying that Bryce is more important than Lucy and Luke? Well, Lord, if you put it that way, the answer is pretty easy. Right? Lauren, are, is your team more important than Andrew? The answer to that question is very easy to answer. But if you're in the middle of that production and that rehearsal, can you actually answer that question with your action? It was hard to actually just walk away. 
for once. One, the first time I did it was when God put that question in front of me. I just went, all right, it's 745. Let me manage the expectations of this team. Hey, guys, just want you to know, I know that, you know, um, we're probably not going to finish by 8, but I told Lucy I was going to be home at 8 o'clock. I'm sorry. I'm going to leave at that time. Ten minutes before that. So I gave them a heads up. It was the hardest walk of shame I had to do leaving the sanctuary. I wish I could tell you that after I told them, oh, that fixed it. Oh, man, it literally felt like the walk of shame. Did any of them think that poorly of me? No, you know the answer to that. Nobody's going to hate me for, 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 for leaving for that reason. But you also know that that walk out of the sanctuary was not easy. But I now plan better. I now lead my team better. 